His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the finest chefs to ever set foot in a kitchen and has pushed the boundaries of culinary creation as far as anyone in history. My name is Jay Taylor. I've been the creator of Heston's TV shows for the past 15 years and whilst never having pushed a culinary boundary in my life, I am lucky enough to be your host as we explore the wonderful mind of Heston. And on today's show, it's over to you as we embark upon our festive mailbag episode with your questions taking us everywhere from top crumble tips to Heston's Christmas disasters and even down under for an Aussie Christmas. So jump on board the sleigh as we take a Christmas journey to the centre of food with Santa's favourite chef, Heston Blumenthal. Heston, it's lovely to see your smiling face today. How are you, sir? Likewise yours, Jay. I'm very good. And I was thinking, you know, you give me that wonderful introduction every time. And this is as much about me journeying in the, into the centre of my own universe and what goes in, on inside everybody else when they eat their food. It's a, it's a universe I don't think we're ever going to get to the end or the beginning of. Well, I have to say, my universe inside of me, I went into a shop this weekend, and I don't know what it is, I don't know if it's lockdown or Christmas or what, but I just wanted to buy every single Christmas product I could see. I mean, every, I mean, I, I, obviously Christmas is gluttony squared, but for some reason this one, I just feel the urge now to eat 16 panettones. How do you say them? Do you say panettone or panettones? You say whatever you want to say. I mean, if you're Italian, it's, I can't even do an Italian accent, but I'll try. Panettone. So I'm I'm putting my thumb and my forefinger together to make a circle, and I and I'm just shaking. By, imagine I had a cocktail shaker in my happens to be my right hand, held one my thumb and forefinger. Panettone, <laughs> panettone. <laughs> also, obviously, we are joined as ever by James, our fat duck producer, who is here to take us on the right side of facts. James, how do you say panettone? You used two hands and that came out much more natural than mine did. It was just more relaxed. Panettone. Panettone. Think about who you're talking to. How would you talk to, if you, let's say you were going into a bank and you wanted some money from the person behind the, the screen and they don't understand you. Now say panettone to them to try and get them to understand what you're saying. <laughs> If it was abroad, it would be Panatoni. 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 I like the fact it's got Tony in it as yeah. well. There's a, there's a whole new podcast here on the tonality of voice and food pronunciation. Edible Christmas treats, I suppose you're talking about. And the same, the same thing. I, I think I mentioned before um, in the duck when we used to uh, the build up to Christmas, and we were so desperate, we were exhausted working up to christmas we're going to have the 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 christmas after christmas eve and then have a couple of weeks off after but in order to be able to have that time with our families off we had to work even harder for the few weeks to build up to it so we needed sustenance we needed musical sustenance christmas decoration sustenance and then you buy the 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 a christmas nowadays it's youtube but you have a christmas compilation but if you put it on too early, there is only X amount of days or weeks that you can have a build-up to Christmas. Uh, Slade um, and Michael Bublé in your uh, oh, everyday. Yes. And actually, here's a question for you. How, what's the, can you remember the latest 
you took down your Christmas tree post-Christmas. Oh, now, I've always been sort of slightly scared by this. There's, there's, there's quite a lot of, sort of threats, aren't there? Like traditional threats where if you don't take them down within two weeks, your house will burn down or something. I'm not sure. They always seem quite dramatic. So I think the maximum we've ever left them up is two weeks afterwards because some ghastly grim fairy tale will happen to us if we don't. Why, what about you? Well, I'm only asking that question because the year before last, I was at my first Christmas here in Provence and had a Christmas tree and a fire. Gets, it gets quite cold here at winter, but it was so beautiful. The baubles, the, the, the tinsel, the light coming through the windows during the day. It was, there was something so wonderfully comforting about it. <laughs> um, have a guess. Oh, you didn't, you're not with like one of these berserk people who leaves the decorations up all year. What was it, t- like a month? A month? Longer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long do you leave it up for? Just before Easter. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> never in my life, never in my life have I done anything like that. Always, it was the, the, the time, right, it's time to take the decorations down now. Yeah. Maybe for some reason. And nothing awful happened to you? <laughs> no, it was wonderful. It was one. I haven't. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but it just, I'm still alive. So my oh, roof that. didn't fall down. <laughs> Is it, what, what, what's the, um, what's that old nursery rhyme with a kid's story about chicken licking and going to, before the sky falls down, you know, they go and see all the people. Uh, what's that story? You know the one I mean? Chicken licking? Well, yeah. goosey, yeah. The, it's Goosey Lucy Goosey Penny. Yes, Goosey Liz, thank you, James. And they and, and they go and ask all these other creatures, if I don't do this, is the sky going to fall down? James, in his own incredibly efficient way, hopefully, will find the story. Because it is something, they're thinking, what's the worst that can happen? If I don't do this, the sky's going to fall down on me. Actually, that's why we have a you. Doesn't. Because throughout human history, there's always been a Heston who's prepared to eat that weird coloured berry on the bush or leave his decorations up as it is in the modern world. And that's, it's important for human evolution. There's someone like you ready to go in first. And, and you're not talking about... Dangers. You're talking about you as in me, not you as in tree. <laughs> you tree. You as in you. A you tree. I, was it two years ago? I came, was it two years ago I came to your house in France and you had the that really cool um, actual Christmas tree in your garden, which you then decorated like a proper Christmas tree with baubles and everything. Oh, it's a big olive tree. Really strong winds. The whole thing was just whoosh yep, in the wind. It yeah, it's amazing. I just sort of forgot that it Christmas. I suppose I'm trying to think of the, the sort of a cheesy saying and metaphor. The excitement that we get at Christmas, we can potentially have every day of the year. I say potentially because it's not that easy. <laughs> the good news is to all our listeners out there, after having just sort of struggled through us blithering on for about 10 minutes about all manner of random things, the good news is I'm not going to be asking the questions today. You are. This is our Christmas mailbag episode in which we have asked you to ping Heston all your questions, thoughts, memories, anything you want from Heston, which I'm going to put to him today. And we're going to go through a big long list. We really do uh, appreciate everything that you've sent in. There are some really fun and cool questions in here and all of the feedback we get from you guys is wonderful so any thoughts you have not just for the mailbag anything you ever want to send over to us and heston please do heston's podcast at gmail.com or at heston's podcast on instagram but we should crack straight into the mailbag heston are you braced for some festive questions sir 
I can't wait. Fantastic. Starting off, we're going to go with Sheila Noons. And uh, this is going to open up an interesting uh, area for you. How early can you prepare a Christmas pudding and what is the perfect recipe? Which I'm sure is going to somehow, or I want it to lead us somehow to that famous one you made for Waitrose. What was it? Was it a hidden orange one inside the Christmas pudding? Yeah, a whole candied orange inside a Christmas pudding. Sheila, that, a great question. How long can you leave or make a Christmas pudding before you eat it? In fact, the longer the better. If you think about dried fruit, uh, it has sugar and salt in it, which is a great preservative. It's a bit like a wine. It matures. So I think the oldest Christmas pudding that I've eaten, knowingly eaten being, you know, several years after, uh, after it being made, was about six or seven years. Now... It was wonderful. Was it wonderful because it was a surprise? I knew it was five to seven years old or not. I don't know. In fact, does it really matter? But certainly, I would recommend it. If if you guys like making Christmas puddings or want to, or just have your favorite Christmas pudding that you buy for, you know, once a year for this special occasion, invest in, try investing in five of them or more and then you just wait every year the, the the tricky thing is you're and to a certain extent this doesn't really matter but you don't know how you're going to be feeling the following christmas day so a year later you're different you're a different person from the year before but certainly christmas puddings mature just like myself and us <laughs> with age. <laughs> um, now, what is the best or the better? I, I think when when I know when I did the um, the the hidden orange Christmas pudding for Waitrose. As a kid, I was never a big fan of dried fruit, and I remember I used to love. We talked about this before: Cadbury's dairy milk and uh, whole nut, but fruit and fruit and nut chocolates. I never. I never really got. As I'm ripening, maybe just like the dried fruit, <laughs> ripening or <laughs> wrinkling, um, I'm appreciating it more and more. I think I prefer the Christmas pudding not to be too sweet. I'd like it to be really sort of... I love... I do love uh, treacle, sticky, toffee sponges. So that characteristic in a christmas pudding i love i do like the, the the bitterness and the fragrance that you get from dried fruit i do think christmas puddings benefit from long steaming you can whack them in the microwave you can but they benefit from long steaming i love the ritual of flambéing them and then turning the lights off and realizing you can't see the flame. So then you try and turn one light on <laughs> and then you put your camera up to show show your friends. And it's, the flames don't come up on the camera. So after half or a bottle of... put too much on as I always do because I can't get it to light first time and then almost burn the house down. Yeah. That, that's happened a few times. Yeah, that, yeah. singed eyebrows. I think that's all part of the ritual, you know. Um, <laughs> and do you have brandy butter, cream or ice cream? But the the... the 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 hot and cold combination I like. Did you ever go with coins inside it? Have you ever had a... I remember a memory from childhood. My uncle giving me a Christmas pudding and it had coins in it, which I think is quite a ah, traditional thing. Yeah, do, you right? find the coin. 
you find the coin, uh, and James, I'm sure, will give us a, a, a quick, so I don't make it up, a quick history of... Oh, the, make the, it up. Go on. Well, <laughs> discovering the coin, the surprise coin in the Christmas pudding is a bit like a golden ticket for your imagination. Um, and they have a similar thing in France called a galette de roi, um, a, a galette, a cake of kings. And what they have inside is like a little model of a king or a queen. It, it has to be big enough. <laughs> this is the thing has to be big enough so you can't swallow it by accident because then you might end up going to hospital. But there is there is something, you know, very playful about it. Who's going to be the person that has the piece of cake with the coin in it? It's like a toy in a cereal box, isn't it? It's the excitement because there's only one and I've got two kids and you rarely ever give one thing. You always have to make sure there's two coins yeah. in a Christmas pudding. But there's something quite fun about that single toy. I was just going to say, yes, I mean, it is. It, it was a, a, a kind of a game to, to try and find whatever it was hidden in the pudding. And I think originally it wasn't always a coin. It was a dried pea or maybe something, a dried bean, something that would survive the baking process. And it's all dating back to, to the Twelfth Night story of Christmas and, and the festivities that would happen on that Twelfth Night, which marked the end of the Christmas celebrations, tying back into the, the taking down the tree. And if you got that bean or coin or whatever, you were king or queen for that particular evening. That, that, I think that's similar in France. So with my la- my Christmas two years ago, I could have actually got away with putting an Easter egg in, although it would have melted. <laughs> You'd never have known the difference. Never have known the difference. But that, 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 that discovery, the cereal packet is interesting because... I remember when I was a kid, when you'd have a toy in a cereal box, it was it was in the cereal. Yeah, and then, absolutely. Then you, you delved in there and you tried to do it when no one was looking. And in the process, you have a right yeah, how you, you get into trouble. And in your hands, you just you just crumbled up the cereal. Then they put it in a plastic, a little plastic packet in the cereal. I think then it went into the box before the plastic bag containing the cereal went into the box. Uh, this way, with the, with the Christmas pudding and the galette de roi, I think the idea is you discover it in your mouth, as opposed to spotting it in the pudding. It's when you put it in your mouth. So they cook it, do they cook it with the... Well, I suppose, yeah. Would you traditionally cook it with the coins in? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't sound very nice, actually. No. <laughs> I think it's quite cool if you find a proper... Have you ever... Yeah, if, I, I remember some, with that, that trick when people put like a 2 pp coin in it's not a trick but um in coca-cola to demonstrate the ph of coca-cola and the 2p coin goes kind of brand new have you ever tried having a gulp and the coin goes in your mouth you don't swallow it it goes in your mouth it's a really bizarre for me unpleasant experience i remember once going to a place i think it was with you it was an i will not mention the other celebrity chef it was another celebrity chef's place uh and he was serving ice cream in a copper Bowl. I remember the ice cream tasted really, really weird. And you said this is because yeah. if you have ice cream out of a copper bowl, it's going to t- change the taste yeah. of it. Yeah, same as spoon. We did quite a lot of experiments on 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 spoons. So copper spoons, bronze spoons, brass spoons, stainless steel spoons, silver spoons, silver plated silver plated spoons, all have an effect. Quite a major effect. It's Jamie Oliver's place, by the way. I'm allowed to say it. it's our podcast. We can say what I like. Tasted rubbish. Gonna do sewers. Onwards, 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 and upwards. So next question, Daniel Bailey seven five four three. 
can't so, imagine there's another 7,542 Daniel Baileys, but Daniel Bailey 7,543 <laughs> says, Heston, what is your go-to tipple? Do you have a Christmas cocktail? I know you have your Negronis, which I think are vile, but you like those, don't you? I, well, I love Negronis because I love the bitterness. My, historically, my goat, for some reason, a really great PT malt smoke. Not, not too PT and too smoky, but a malt whiskey that has that has this sort of slightly sherry, almondy aroma to it. And I only ever think about drinking that at Christmas time, although I've realised since I've been here I haven't had any. <laughs> but that would be my, for some reason, my association with Christmas because I get, we, did, we, we, we covered this in one of the TV shows we did actually. I had, you know, m- most people have an uncle in, when they remember when they're growing up that isn't actually their uncle. They call them an uncle, but it's not their uncle. And yeah. he used to, my uncle, my uncle John used to live in Brixton. And it was quite, a, that it, in those days, quite a rough part of London. Um, he was an architect. And he did a lot of work on his house. It wasn't a big house. It was in the middle of a rough area. But when you went in, there was something, something very cosy about the house. And I just remember his living room on the first floor had a nice old bookshelf and a red leather chair. And there was all Brazil nuts on the table, and he smoked a pipe. And I used to love the smell. I don't think I've ever smoked a pipe, but I loved the smell of him smoking the pipe. So I had, and there was a fire. So this, these memories of sort of soft tobacco, leather, the smell of a, of a welcoming fire, and slight nuttiness somehow got encapsulated to me and translated into whiskey <laughs> at some point as I was growing up. So I would. My it goes with it, doesn't it? It goes in that sort of triangle. It's almost like a checklist of things the uncle that's not an uncle should have, which is a nice smelling smoke. Yep. Some kind of fire or nut nut cracking thing. Yep. And whiskey. It works, right? I love so that. Yes. So Daniel, thank you. I you've now given me an exciting. It's the first Christmas present I thought of to buy myself. I'm going to buy myself a really nice bottle of malt. That is. Smoky, peaty, leathery, uh, not too strong because that leathery note is actually can also turn into TCP. It's the same molecule, by the way, with a little bit of fruitiness this. to it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking and thinking at the same time. This is an <laughs> internal conversation that happens to be external because words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> but yes, I'm now, going, I'm now going to go and try and find myself that bottle of whiskey and I'm, I'm going to open it. I was going to say Christmas Day. I might do Christmas Eve because I'm going to do the mince pie, carrot and milk thing. And we do have a chimney that I do make a fire. So just going to make sure the mince pies and the carrot and the milk are not too close to the fire. There's enough space for Santa to come down the um, down the chimney. That's very important. You don't want the fire burning. No. For for his entrance. No, no, no. Either that or I just keep him captured. So he can give me <laughs> presents every day. Until Easter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wonderful. Thank you for that, Daniel. Uh, we've had a very nice email here from, from Marcus Sprenkle. Now, this is not specifically Christmas, but it's, we did ask for other memories as well. He said, Dear Heston and Jay, a few days ago I made a rhubarb crumble using my mother's recipe that I hadn't used for 40 years. One mouthful and I was a seven-year-old boy again. I bake the two pounds of rhubarb and six ounces of soft brown sugar and a tablespoon of ground ginger. My mother said to bake it rather than use a pan as the rhubarb holds its shape better, which it did. 
As ginger brings out the rhubarb flavour, are there any other tricks or additions that I could try to enhance rhubarb? Crumble topping with flour, sugar, butter and oats. Regards, Marcus Sprinkle. Thank you, Marcus. That was lovely. So the question is, Heston, and I think it's wonderful that he's sharing his ratatouille moment with us. Yeah, I love his ratatouille rhubarb moment. Yeah, I agree with him and his grandmother in that if you put it in a, um, in a dish and put it in the oven, it does hold its shape because by the nature of putting it in a frying pan, You've got heat coming from just underneath the frying pan. So you have to stir the pan and the rhubarb breaks up. So it does hold its shape really nicely. Ginger does go wonderfully with rhubarb. What my suggestion would be before, and this is a really simple thing, but you can use this for all sorts of crumbles and other fruit dishes. When, before you bake the rhubarb with the sugar, just sprinkle, cover the rhubarb in the sugar, you could replace about 30% of the brown or demerara sugar with fructose, which you can buy in the supermarket as fruit sugar, and leave it for one or two hours. Just leave it. Leave it. The, the, the posh chefy um, word for this is macerating, or maceration, as they say in French. And then what will happen is the rhubarb shape will be become a bit more dense a bit more supported but you'll accentuate the rhubarb flavor you can put the if you put the ginger with it or any other herbs and spices you want to put with it it will also absorb those flavors more so give it some time think about the cooking time as also pre-oven so you can do this basically this exactly the same thing that you're doing you could re- you could add some fructose or replace some sugar with fructose, but just give it a couple of hours mixed together before putting it in the oven and taste the, dif- the difference. And finally, in your crumble, uh, just um, as long as you've got a, a good enough quantity of salt, because that also makes a a really big difference. I have to say, it took me a long time to start liking rhubarb again because my parents had a vegetable patch, and you know the way with parental vegetable patches you sort of get two crops and we had runner beans and rhubarb but there was yeah. so much of it we ate rhubarb every night for what felt like months and the same with runner beans the rest of the time did your i don't know if your parents have had a vegetable patch like that mine did for a short period of time we lived in in bucks and actually funny funny you should say that it was rhubarb it, they're rhubarb with, and i remember that, that they have these massive leaves on them and you have to be very careful because they contain something called oxalic acid which is highly poisonous i didn't and, know that yeah highly poisonous i did a flavor pairing actually with oxalic acid but i can't remember what it was now also rhubarb is a vegetable it's not a fruit that's a very good point i didn't even consider that it's a vegetable i've always consider, thought of it a fruit because it comes out well, when it's cooked, it tends to be a sweet thing, doesn't it? Well, yeah, only be- <laughs> mainly because we put an awful lot of sugar with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's in a crumble, it's a fruit. <laughs> but also, if you want on the crumble, if you've got desiccated coconut, for example, and mix that into a crumble topping, rhubarb and coconut go wonderful. There's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of things actually that go really well with with rhubarb. But I think that that maceration before cooking and put some desiccated coconut or, you know, you could buy sort of to- like get toasted almond flakes, toasted coconut and mix that in with your crumble. That can be delicious. We've had a couple of people ask us a similar thing um, from Down Under. G'day, Down Under. We love all our listeners down there. Holmet uh, has asked, um, what would you eat when it's a hot climate? 
Christmas like Australia. And Annie Macdon has also asked the same thing in a slightly different way. But basically the question is, obviously we always consider Christmas to be a sort of cold, drizzly affair because we're up in Blighty. Mm -hmm. But down under, and I've never had Christmas in a hot climate. I don't know about you. I've never been to Australia for Christmas or anything like that. But but they're asking, what would you eat if you were there? Yeah, good question. I don't know. I have been there. I've been in Australia and South Africa, for example, at Christmas. And it's hot climate. What did you have when you were there? Do you remember? Um... I, I've I've done the I mean one of the traditional Australian things for Christmas is a ham, a co- is a cooked ham, and all, obviously the barbecue. Now that might seem a bit bizarre for a Brit to light on the barbie at, at Christmas time, but if you're you know if you if you're out you're outside you're the sun's shining it's hot you know you might want to eat something different. It's a it's an interesting question because it shows how rooted we can be with the food that we eat. So the association of Easter eggs at Easter or in the UK, roast turkey and roast potatoes at Christmas time. You know, if you're in Thailand or China or Russia, they'll all have different traditional things. So I think Christmas for me, one of the things I absolutely love about Christmas is sort of like a within within a culture and a country, you have a shared belief. So there is a ritualization that there's a series of rituals whether you do them or not or you're interested in doing them or not doesn't matter just the fact that there will be christmas carols there will be a church service there will be the night before christmas by the fireplace putting something out from for 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 santa and his little helpers perhaps there will be the excitement of seeing the tree all lit up and glistening there will be the the build up to Christmas Day and then and then the layover of a boxing day and falling asleep in front of the TV or playing games or you know the 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 build up buying the tree decorating the tree all of these things bring us together and that is a wonderful thing so what would you eat over christmas i i think i would probably put the air conditioning on Get some some of that fake snow spray paint, <laughs> spray the windows, and try to pretend I'm in a winter wonderland. And live. I don't, for a lot of people, it is a massive treat. Imagine going, being on the beach on Christmas Day. I'm going to be on oh. the beach. I'm going to, going into the sea on Christmas Day. I mean, oh, people. There's a lot of people in England that have never travelled anywhere like that for Christmas. So the thought of that isn't can also be an ultimate luxury that's an adult thing as well i feel because as a kid thought of that would just horrify me britain home that was christmas but now as an adult the idea of being on a beach for christmas is brilliant and i would love to do it each year i think i would have responded to this question differently right now i think and this might sound cheesy i would spend it with people that i care about and if i was in their culture then i'd i would i'd feed off their christmas memories their christmas culture and I might bring a little can of fake snow with me. <laughs> Onwards with our questions. We have one here, which is from Tammy Praddy. Heston, what's the biggest Christmas cooking disaster you've had? I, I mentioned this the other day. I think the biggest one was my mother-in-law, my dad's mum, coming to see us. We were an hour outside of London. Her and my mother did not like each other. That's an understatement. My mum had, and I'd helped her, this is years ago. Get, I was sorting the meat out. She was doing the veg that she wanted to cook. And then my grandphones in the morning speaks to my dad, who was full of a, a typical man. 
brush everything under the carpet. So he's full of guilt. He didn't want to upset anybody. He just wanted an easy life. And my grand said, I've prepared the Christmas vegetables. Knowing that my mum's been in the kitchen for the last three days. <laughs> do this. So what did he do? He didn't want to say, look, you know, Celia's made all the veg. Tell you what, bring them down and we'll have a look at them. What happened then? Uh, well, she turned up with them. She wasn't going to. I mean, she, that was it. She, she said, I'm not coming. It was a United Nations attempted uh, reconciliation process that NATO would have been proud of. So she came <laughs> down. And then I remember my mum stayed in her dressing gown. Uh, my dad looked really forlorn sitting at the table. My grand just looked not very happy. And there was my sister and I. My mum had three Christmas hats on, three paper Christmas hats on, stacked on top of each other, being really serious. <laughs> said to my dad so there was there were two lots of vegetables and they were cooked some of them were cooked very differently oh Tammy bringing back harrowing memories for Hester dear uh, I think she might have called my dad would you like some of these Brussels sprouts you fat bastard I think was one of her <laughs> was one of the questions and my sister and I sat there in silence so I, I, I'd say that's probably the most uh, um, disastrously memorable and memorably disastrous Christmas uh, I've had. In terms of cooking disasters, at Christmas, mm, oh, one, 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 one. Um, my ex-wife, I spent two days, three days making a sauce to go with a goose. I was doing... It was like I made a stock, chicken stock. Then I, made, I took all the spare, the goose bits that the butcher was going to throw away. This was in Tame, not far from where we lived. Made us use that stock with those bones to make a second stock. I made a third stock. So I was like reinforcing this stock. And then <clears throat> when you brown the meat or veg in a pan, as long as it's not burnt, it, it sticks to the pan. And there's a thing, a technique called deglazing. And... Be careful in French because déglaze, déglaze, or dégalasse. Dégalasse is disgusting, but déglaze is not. So you pour water or you put wine in, and then it bubbles up. The pan bubbles up, and then with a like a wooden spoon or a spatula, you scrape up those bits that are stuck to the bottom of the pan, and they are precious nuggets, concentrated nuggets of roasted, juicy deliciousness. So they're so vital each time you make a stock and that you just keep on, you keep on taking every little bit of the things that are stuck to the pan that you could easily throw away. Anyway, when you deglaze and you scrape, that liquid goes, doesn't really look that appetizing, but eventually you're going to cook it with more liquid and fresh veg and then you're going to filter it three times and then you have a beautifully shiny um, um, jewel-like looking sauce. But my um, my ex-wife, she, she didn't know. I walked into, I'd, I'd gone out the kitchen to go outside to cut some more fresh bay leaf. I walked back in and I said, oh, this is interesting, it smells like bleach in here. <laughs> oh no. She was cleaning up I didn't need cleaning up. I mean, it was it was just a pan. It, to her, it looked like 
a pan of something that you could not possibly use for cooking instead of something so precious. So she just poured, poured bleach in it to get rid of all the bits on the bottom and chucked it away. And the whole kitchen stank of bliss. Three days' work. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. I mean, I just, it was, uh, yeah. I had to take responsibility and should have said to her, can you please not touch this? But I didn't think. It was just that, that smell, the whole kitchen smell of bleach. Three days of being in these wonderful, uh, this one, this room of wonderful smells and feeling pleased with myself that things were going to plan. Tammy, thank you for that. There's some lovely memories in there. Uh, talking about geese, Tegrid Reese asks, Heston, what's the best way to cook a goose? <laughs> Hang on, talk about Reese, Tegrid Reese. Tegrid Reese. That's a great name. The thing with a goose is that the breasts are thin, unlike, a, say, a chicken or a turkey. And so what I, what I would do, I, I, I love goose at Christmas time. What I would do is take, buy in, get the goose a week before, take off the legs, the whole legs, and where the sort of Parsons nose, that part of the carcass, take that off and the wingtips off. And um, then you can put some salt on the goose, the, the goose carcass that's left with some herbs, rosemary and sage and stuff like that. And then, and then wrap it up. <clears throat> so had, let's say you do that two, three days before. Now take the goose legs, make, make a salt mix with spices. So salt, rosemary, thyme, bay leaf, orange zest, lemon zest, uh, some crushed up, maybe you can use ginger, cloves, nutmeg, general, those sorts of Christmassy spicings. And you make this um, salt mix. Actually, it's a very old recipe called powdered goose. And the powder um, relates to the salt and spice mix. So those legs get then covered in salt and you leave them there for two days at least two days also now when you trimmed all the bits of your goose there'll be lots of fat inside the carcass there's big lumps of white fat take get all that if you uh, get a jar of goose fat um, in addition and then put the pieces of fat in the goose fat and then just just heat it very gently for an hour or a couple of hours and what will happen is you'll you'll dissolve all the fat once you've got that, you, don't, you can leave that in the pan. After, after you've cured the duck legs, put in the fat and then cook them for a couple of hours, two, three, four hours at a low temperature. We're talking maximum 80 degrees, I'd say 70 degrees centigrade. Just, just, and then <clears throat> you can do that. I mean, you can do that quite a long time before. You put that aside, that becomes your stuffing. So then... You've got your goose left. You roast the goose, put in the oven on a roasting tray, on a rack, and put the oven on around about 180 degrees, 200 degrees. If you've got a thermometer, uh, a, dig a digital probe with a, you know, you can just skewer. You push it into the meat, tells you the temperature. You want to take that out at about, if your oven is 180 and don't always rely on the dial. If it's 180 to 200 degrees, you want to take the meat out when the probe in the center of the breast it says about 50 degrees. Take it out and let it rest. Let it sit there for half an hour. 
while you've already done your, you've got all your other veg ready, um, your meat, so I'm, I, this is on, off the cuff here, so I'm not exactly doing this in the, the right chronological, chronological order. Your, your, your confit goose legs in the fat have already been done. Your veg and stuff has already been done, but uh, your goose is resting. But you're going, let's go back to the confit leg. You then softly melt the oil. You take the legs, you break the meat up. Then you just cook the meat. You cook onions and garlic and do red cabbage or normal cabbage and then mix it in with the meat. And then you can blanch cabbage leaves and then stuff that in the cabbage leaves and make dumplings, make little sausages to go with your roast goose. Oh, yeah. If that's too much work, you can just roast just roast the goose, but you'll need to take the... <laughs> when the goose breasts at that temperature, take the legs off, put the grill on and put the legs under the grill. I'm in on all that. I love that. Thanks. Thanks very much. I, I did. Sort that out <laughs> <laughs> the next few <laughs> questions, I'm going to try and answer them. Really, Do you know what we should do one time? I'm not even sure why I'm suggesting this because it might, won't be easy for me. We should have a yes or no Q&A answer. No chance. No, no chance. chance. Right, One word a... answers. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'll just actually, get this. So, there's, so much, there's so much to it. Uh, there's so much to say, always. Well, unfortunately, we are now running out of time. So we only have time left for one more question. But this is one that I want you to take you to somewhere in your imagination. It's from Quiblet Quinn. Yeah. Now he says, I presume that's a he. What's your favourite Christmas memory you'd like to represent through food? Now I want to expand that slightly by saying, obviously, you've done so many different Christmas memories through food, through the various ranges you've done through Waitrose, through the things you've created in the Fat Duck and on TV, just such a myriad of things you've done. But presume that you don't actually have to physically make it tomorrow, but you could capture any Christmas memory and somehow bring it through food, what would the memory be that you would like to transform into a culinary experience? The whole build-up. The whole build-up of Christmas. To capture that, and I think this is the one time a year for me that I used to be a bit snobbish about, probably used to be a bit snobbish about everything, I don't know, but snobbish about cliches. But I realised cliches are cliches because they work. And Christmas is the time of year that I think brings us together more than any other time. And it's not, Christmas Day would be pointless if there was no build-up. Pointless. So you can't separate Christmas Day from Boxing Day, from Christmas Eve to Christmas carols and buying the tree to the first time you see the decorations in a shop window or down, down, down your high street or the first Christmas song you hear played on the radio or smell of, you know, the first log fire or smell of roasted chestnuts or, you know, the, the list is, is, is almost endless. So for me, Christmas is not just Christmas Day. It encapsulates the excitement, the build-up, the expectation you know without all of that i know i kept my tree up till april however without all of that build up you know most of us are sort of happy to get to the point where we've just about exhausted our christmas we're just about but if we tried to put it in one day we wouldn't exhaust it so it seems to be just long enough so for me it would be a way to encapsulate the whole build up of what Christmas is in our own imagination what it can be and I think you know we can all have a little play in our imaginations to imagine 
what that would be in my mind it's a boxer quality street in which you've created something in which that brings those imaginations to life that would be great fun heston i'm afraid that's all we've got time for Um, why why well it's a tv thing you say we don't really have to stop there to be honest but you know we could keep going for hours but i just think people are basic we've already been told we have soporific voices on this podcast if we can't go much longer people are asleep (laughs) all the time have people falling asleep at the wheel have people falling asleep at work no, so it's just what we don't we don't have to run out of time. Yeah. I've just thought it'd be a good time to stop now. Yes, so, sure. okay. <laughs> Heston, for no particular reason, we're going to stop now. Uh, <laughs> but our advent calendar of Christmas food and chats are going to continue throughout December. So we are going to be doing some more Christmas build up because we do love it. And I think, as we've said, why not bathe in it this year? We all deserve a bit of indulgence when it comes to Christmas. So we're going to keep going on this. But for now, thank you ever so much for sending in all your questions. And Heston, thank you ever so much for sharing with us all your thoughts and answers on it. That was really good fun. Thank you, chaps. And thank you for everyone sending your questions in. They really do. I, I, I wish I could get through more of them. Maybe I have to keep my answers shorter, but oh, that's a work in progress. But I love... I I love the questions. Keep them coming, please. Until next time, goodbye all.